What you're about to hear is the excerpt from my conversation with Whitestone Motion Pictures director and co-founder Brandon McCormick about the making of their History Channel production about the Roanoke Colony. Enjoy. Uh, what was the actual shoot yet? Because I know we actually talked about how you got there, but yeah. the shoot itself, mm-hmm. uh, and remind me again, the, the story was what? Sure. So the story is about the Roanoke Colony. Mm-hmm. They disappeared. And then, uh, then really the story picks up in 1930 with these stones that were found. Mm-hmm. Um, and the stones were supposed to have told the story of what happened in Roanoke. Um, and what was the Roanoke Colony? The Roanoke Colony was first American settlement. Mm-hmm. And they were dropped off uh, here uh, in, in Roanoke, and um, something went horribly wrong, and, and the leader had to go back to England to get more supplies. Supposed to come back in three months, came back in three years. When he comes back, they've vanished without mm-hmm. a trace. No bodies. So this is like when the original colony, 13 colonies? Pre, way before. Oh, even before that. Jamestown. This is oh, pre wow. everything. This is the first. This is why we don't hear about it, because okay. they just up and vanished into uh, history. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just been fascinating since 11th grade history to me um and uh and so there's so many theories and questions and and what actually happened to them so much space to play in that uh it's something we just kind of worked with and developed and once you kind of get into the details of the story uh it just becomes this uh you know it's just kind of it's a it's america's oldest mystery mm-hmm. it's the first murder mystery in our country uh, uh you know of the united states and so it's one of those things where um yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool callback mm-hmm. to that. And then in the 30s, which is really where our story takes place, uh, this, this incredible, where you know, it seemed like they had solved the mystery and actually had, had a lot to do with the college here, uh, in Bernal, which is down the street. And they found these stones that told that story of what happened. It was oh, the, really? You know, so national news, 1930s, we solved the greatest mystery. Then it turns out this huge controversial uh, hoax, possibly, hmm. and the person who found it, Dr. Haywood Pierce, he rises and falls, and you know rises into the top of his game and then falls into obscurity and man twists and turns and and blackmail and greed and man it's such a great story. And, and so, like this is true, like all of it. Wow. Yes, yeah, absolutely, all absolute true. Uh, this one. Uh, is not our, our uh, fabrication. Uh, this is actually everything kind of really recreating history. Right. And uh, such an absolutely fascinating story of, you know, uh, pride and um, greed and uh, conspiracy. And then in, in the end, ultimately, redemption. Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in our protagonist story. But it's a story no one's really heard. And it was a story that was such a huge national thing um, right before World War II broke out that it just disappeared. And to have these... Uh, Bernal, basically, there's 42 stones found that were the, the trails of the story of the last survivor of Roanoke, mm-hmm. uh, leading all the way to Atlanta. Mm. And um, that once this hoax was supposedly, um, the, some people that found them were trying to blackmail for more money. They didn't get the money, so then they said, hey, we faked it all. After Smithsonian and Harvard said these are real, the, um, they fell into obscurity. And so Bernal has these rocks that could or could not be the answer to America's oldest mystery in their basement mm-hmm. and just been, they've been languishing for 75 years and nobody knows and nobody cares. And so I wanted to go tell that story of how did, what could possibly be the answer to America's oldest mystery end up in a dusty old basement with nobody knowing what they are. Mm-hmm. And the idea of a priceless relic possibly being down the street, right. um, one of the greatest artifacts in America, um, 
just being in a closet is just fascinating. And so it, that's kind of the premise in the story and asking these questions. Well, it calls back to Indiana Jones, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the movie where they, oh, absolutely. Where they oh, put the Ark it, in the giant warehouse. 100%. And really, my <laughs> the story, you know, spoiler alert, ends with, you know, the in 1941, putting the stones away. Mm-hmm. And then asking the question, did, you know, are they? And, and we did a modern day investigation along with the 1930 stuff and found some pretty compelling uh, stuff that uh, raises a lot of questions. And so it really leaves the audience with, you know, so the the question is, how did the colony become lost? What happened to them? And then did we find them in 1939? And then Mm -hmm. how did we lose them again? Yeah. And then maybe did we find them now? And so, I don't know, it's a a great story. And and yeah, absolutely, Indiana Jones, all the best of all that kind of stuff, you know, belongs in a museum, (laughs) uh, you know? And so that that became uh, uh, what was interesting to to History Channel and and something that we were passionate about. And it also, you know, it's it's the Southern, some of it's a bit Southern Gothic, which is what I absolutely love, some backwoods, shady characters, and all of it happens with Southern professors and Georgian professors. So there's a kind of a a kinship there in some ways too, so. It, it was a perfect fit for for what we do and and what I yeah. love. Did you grow up in the South? Uh, I I consider wherever you did high school growing up. Uh-huh. So uh, I've I've been adopted into the South. Okay. Um, so born in Florida, raised a bit in Seattle, which I absolutely love. That's where I live um, now. Hmm? That's where I live now. Yeah, it's gorgeous, Seattle. right? Yeah. I mean, come on, you can't. Most beautiful you place. You cannot get no. It's it yeah. is the Emerald City. Right. Um, and then came here, hated the South. Uh, just. Just hated, you know, the, this idea of a southern rednecky, whatever. Um, married a southern woman, met the met the Appalachian Mountains, and just fell in love under the spell, and yeah. just been entranced ever since. So, cool. um, yeah, I would say I'm a bit adopted into yeah, the South. Yeah, yeah. For 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 better, for worse. Because you you don't sound like from down around these parts. Well, neither does my wife. Interesting <laughs> enough, who oh, really? is as southern as they get. They get. <laughs> uh, yes, I think uh, it was called the. Um, uh, I can't remember the, the term. It, it's because of TV, actually. <laughs> is it really? We, we're losing our accents because of television. That's funny. And there's so many... Uh, Nick Kirk, who is born and raised in South, does not have a hint of a Southern accent. It's because right. we all grew up watching Seinfeld and Friends and right. whatever the heck. And yeah. just don't have yeah. that anymore. Yeah. Um, so did the History Channel come to you with this story? Or did they come to you saying... We like what you do. We want you to tell some story for us. Yeah, they said, "Hey, we've seen Jacqueline Uspel or and John Henry, and you know, because you do historical type stuff, right? And a lot of the stuff, whether it be fantasy or not, uh, has some kind of grounding in reality. Mm-hmm. They just wanted us to pitch stuff, and so I was just pitching things and pitching things, and there was just an interest in this. So that's kind of where the iterations of this, you know, came about. So. I'm executive producer on the project. I'm also writer-director on it. So it was something that we're bringing to the table, and then Weissstone creatively led the initiative. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it couldn't be a, a better um, uh, setup that it's our first television show that we brought to the table and something that I wanted to do and have pitched, and they said yes. Yeah. So they didn't. Uh, they had a lot of influence in the ultimate end product, but it's our story, and that was that's been a fun. That's amazing, experience. and we're very fortunate to get to. Yeah. Do that on the first uh, on the first run, right? And when is it? So is it like a is it a series like a mini series or is it just like one standalone? It's a project? one night event. It's it. it's a two hour kind of special, mm-hmm. which I I'm they wanted to do a series on it, and then we kind of toyed around with it. I like the one night special thing; it's more mm-hmm. like a feature film, and also you know it's uh, if it, you 
you get one shot, but if it's good, it's really, really good. A uh, series, if you start going down in viewership, you just, yeah. it's really, it's a good setup to die. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I actually like the one isolated thing, uh, get some great viewership and right. then move on as a success and um, as yeah. opposed to uh, going three episodes into something and right. then getting canceled. And, we, and will you guys edit it as well? No, actually, or, that's all being done up in New York with okay. another company called Left Right. They're doing mm-hmm. all the post, and uh, they're letting us uh, have a lot of. I'm involved heavily with it, but you know, they're they're up in New York. They're very close proximity to history, so it actually works out better. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're we're having all the input creatively, and they're just kind of right. processing doing and doing a great job, kind of putting it together. So, is there any follow up for Whitestone at this point, or is it just like waiting for them to? There's big follow up. Yeah. Um, in the in terms of a feature film slash series mm. that we're pitching um, specifically and, uh, to history. Yes. We're, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll be. This is where I wish I had videos so you can see the look on Yeah. Your well. Face. Yeah. No. I mean, because because yes, I will be pitching it to History Channel absolutely, right. uh, and, and kind of a first right. first dibs. Um, but it is, uh, uh, it's something, you know, the question, it is about Roanoke. So the question mm-hmm. was, Hey, is there interest in the Roanoke series or the story? Yeah. I think the answer is yes. Once we put this project down, it comes right. out in October and then we get to talk about the bigger, really, really big project that comes afterwards. And, and we've already built that relationship. We've shown what we can do. This was a smaller run, even though technically for us it was huge. Um, for them, it was just a tiny production. Um, right. And so, yes, there's definitely a, a plan for follow-up. But, of course, they're going to want to see how this goes and um, see how, uh, how it's received. And I think it'll be received pretty well. So right. I, I don't have any uh, uh, reservations. So we're, we're plowing ahead, and hopefully this is going to leapfrog into the next big project. For the geeks out there, where did you shoot it on? Shot on the Red uh, Ep- no, Epic on the new Dragon sensor. Oh, thing, really? Which was usually I'm not impressed with... Uh, the tech stuff, you know, yeah. so, and this is working with Triple Horse, they have uh, the two Red Epics, and we've shot on Reddit for a while now, um, you know, nothing against Alexa, I love the, absolutely love the sexy Alexa, but, mm-hmm. you know, I figure if the Red Epic was good enough for Mr. Jackson, right. it's good enough for me. Um, at the same point, uh, we got the that would dragon. be Peter Jackson, that for those be, listening. That would be Peter Jackson. <laughs> um, the, uh, the the dragon sensor kind of blew my mind. The really? low light, yeah, the the low light type stuff uh, to me finally actually looked like the stuff they've been promising forever. Mm-hmm. You know, like they did this whole like demo years ago of like how uh, the match in a dark room. Right. Like, that's crap. I've never I've never been able to do that. That's, right. that's a lie. I don't know how they did that. Um, but this one, it was uh, it was really versatile. Was it at like you know dusk, the darkest dusk, and I bumped the ISO. Way higher than I normally would, and man, it just looked pristine. And it yeah. just blew my mind. That was the first time. Is that a six K? Uh, we shot on five K. Oh, Let me go soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'll throw it again. Would you say no one vacuums here? Oh yeah, no. This is this is this place uh, is old and dusty. Um, we shot at five K, mm-hmm. and uh, there's a whole lot of really cool stuff you can do with that um, that I've oh, yeah. found over the years. But um, obviously, we mixed down the. You know, mm-hmm. 1080 for television but yeah 5k it was something that it, it's that's really really versatile in post mm-hmm. and uh it's just kind of a fun when you get to see it which is rare at like on a 4k projector or whatever it's pretty right you know which is totally self-serving because no one's ever going to see it at 4K. <laughs> but, you know it's fun some we, point we all get in a room and go Ooh, look how good that looks um so that was that was fun uh 
Yeah. And everyone who worked on the crew were Whitestone crew, or do you use? Did you have to like use New York crew or? We were definitely all local Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Whitestone crew was all the department heads. Mm-hmm. So creatively, we led uh, everything that you saw, and we were uh, fortunate enough to work with Triple Horse again. Mm-hmm. So they brought in all the technical um, and also like a lot of the production and producer. Mm-hmm. Um, on much they they are way more familiar with the larger shows, so they they worked a lot more of the um, the tactile uh, tactile uh, approach to the project. So mm-hmm. we got to be the creative house, and so production design, art department, um, music, uh, and directing, lighting, all that kind of stuff was directly from us. So mm-hmm. it definitely feels us, and then kind of the engine that that helped us push being right. the horse. Cool. Uh, and you wrote it? Did you write it? I did. Or, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I wrote. I wrote it. Um, I wrote so, are you in the WGA? And how? And if I am not, uh, and does that affect? I mean, you think of a company like History Channel mm-hmm. doing something of that caliber that they would have to use, like union people, or do they? Not? Interesting. Interestingly enough, uh, our, our friends at History Channel didn't want to use any union stuff. Mm-hmm. So, actually, the fact that we weren't union, and I'm not in any union, actually worked in our favor on this one. Right. Um, I have nothing really against the unions. Uh, I've just, uh, I've just not. It's not ever been a thing where it's hindered me yet. Right. It's just more. Um, yeah, it's just kind of the out. It's just more of my demo reel gets us, you know. Yeah. Stuff. It's not necessarily in our agents, um, and so the. Uh, so yeah, I'm not. I'm not union. Yeah. Um, and that's again. That's more of a crime of uh, um, passion, not a, not a, like a statement against. Well, it's funny because I was just listening to this fascinating interview on Tim Ferriss's um, podcast they did with Robert Rodriguez, mm-hmm. which I strongly suggest. Have you heard the interview? I have not, no. Um, yeah, no, it's like a two-hour interview. Oh, cool. So, uh, so Tim Ferriss interviews people from every aspect of life and um, to kind of hack like how they do what they do. So they interviewed, he interviewed Robert, and Robert was talking about the trials and tribulations he's, ha- he's had dealing with the DGA, mm-hmm. where... You know, and and how like Quentin's not apparently not in the DGA, and Spielberg's not, and all these high-profile directors who aren't. And so when Robert was coming up, and he was really getting really popular, how it was kind of becoming embarrassing that he wasn't in it. And so, but he's sort of like you know, like his book Rebel Without a Crew. Like he's a rebel. Like he yeah. doesn't like to play by the by the rules. And he was just basically just told a story about you know, the issues he had with them in terms of things he'd want to do that was against union rules. Yeah. And um, particularly when he made um, Sin City with Frank Miller, he wanted to give Frank Miller co-directing credit mm-hmm. and the DGA wouldn't allow it. And it was like a like a pain in the ass. He was like, you know, what's the point? Because they weren't a pre-existing... Because he said, well, what about the Coen brothers and the Wachowski siblings and all that? Mm-hmm. But they weren't like a pre-existing couple or whatever, a pre-existing right. partnership. And so... On their next film, they could be co-directors, and so he, he had just given Frank Miller the credit. And apparently, like when Sin City came out with this whole thing, it kind of blew up in the DJ's face in terms mm-hmm. of the kind of uh, backlash that they got because of because of the whole issue and sure. how Robert wanted to remain true to Frank Miller's vision of mm-hmm. of Sin City and whatnot, but. Yeah, no, I just thought it was interesting the whole idea of unions and how that works. And that yeah, way. I mean, I don't have I don't have a whole lot of interest uh, in going that direction, and uh, I have a lot of other 
things that have hindered me uh, right. and, and not being in union is not necessarily one of them. Right. Come back in maybe a few years and maybe I'll have yeah. a different story. But it's not something that's really uh, been a, a call for me or, or kind of a goal yet. 